If you have God's word, let's go to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to pick up around verse 17 and then 18 as well. And so it's kind of a little, uh, little package, a little pericope of scripture that, that, that will, I believe, really be a great jump up spot for us for now, of course, in the future. And uh, we just kind of came from the mountaintop. You know, remember Moses going to the mountaintop, Ten Commandments? We kind of just came from the mountaintop, you know, last Sunday as we were challenged, you know, by, by Pastor Mark Bain. And, uh, and we were asked to make disciples. Do you remember that? How many remember that from last Sunday? So we were challenged to, to, to really do that, to put kind of action to our faith. Well, this morning, I, I want to ask a question. I want to begin like this. What would make you... I mean, what would you have to do to make your life memorable? I mean, for those that know you or maybe possibly the neighbor down the street or maybe a friend. Or how about somebody you're just getting to know and they discover, they find out that you're a Christian. What would it make, what would it take to make your life memorable? I mean, in such a way that they would say, if I was to be a Christian, I want to be a Christian like that. You know, the same kind of honor and integrity that, you know, maybe a nine-year-old gives to a star NFL quarterback and he's playing in the Super Bowl and he wins the Super Bowl, gets the Super Bowl ring. And the nine-year-old says, man, if I grow up to be a football player, I want to be a football player like that. Or maybe the kind of honor and respect that a young lady going to college to be a teacher, you know, honors her teacher that she had back in high school and a teacher that impacted her life and so influenced her and had such a, you know, uh, uh, an effect on her life that she says, if, if, if I'm a teacher, I want to be a teacher like that. I mean, what would it take to make your life memorable? I mean, to really hit the bullseye. I love, I loved how the, the news media outlets, uh, conservative and liberal alike, really paid homage and honor to President Bush when he passed. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, all the news media outlets, again, liberal, conservative, didn't matter. I mean, they did an awesome job really marking uh, President Bush's life and honoring him and talking about what a legacy he left. And, um, and it was just, I mean, it was just spectacular because his life hit the bullseye. His life was memorable. What some people would say is that he lived a life above the fold. Newspaper editors know something about this. That's why they're newspaper editors. Um, um, they know that when they print a newspaper, that the most important article, I mean, the very, the very story that gets the most attention is the story they print that is above the fold. You know, oftentimes to the top, to the right, sometimes to the left, but usually to the right. And they know that that story, that article that comes out that's printed that is above the fold on the front page is the one that deserves the most attention. This is the article they want you to see. They want you to read this. And I propose this morning that as believers, as Christians, that we are asked, we are challenged to live a life that's above the fold. A life that's above integrity and honesty. And and the fact is, I think the Apostle Paul knew something about this. I mean, it would have been so easy for the Apostle Paul to spiral into a a spirit of bitter rage and frustration because he did had a lack of resources or because he wasn't treated fairly because he went through trial and tribulation. He went through physical abuse. It would be very easy for the Apostle Paul to become frustrated and wallow in self-pity and say, oh, woe is me. But he doesn't do that. We know in his epistles, in his writings, in the way that we respect them, that the Apostle Paul, he made a decision. And that decision is that he was going to live a life that was above the fold. Amen. You see, I I propose that's what the scripture asks us to do. In fact, we see it in Romans, here in Romans chapter 14, looking at verse 17 and 18. And uh, 
And I think, you know, Paul is really kind of asking this of us to live this life, this spiritual life that's above the fold as we read this passage. So follow along with me as we look at the word this morning. So we go to Romans chapter 14, looking at verse 17 and 18. Now, he's going to frame for us what it is that he's talking about, really what he wants to get at. And what he's wanting to get at is what is the kingdom of God like? And so, no, this is what he's describing for us, what the kingdom of God is like. So here we go. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Father, for the challenge that you give us, that that we are to rise up and that we are not just to accept the mediocre life. Lord, that this world would want us to embrace. But, Father, that you have you've challenged us to live a life that is holy and righteous and in relationship with you. And so, Father in heaven, I just pray that you would just speak to that one this morning. That's just waiting to hear your voice, waiting to get your direction. I pray that you would anoint that one and give them blessing as they hear and listen to your word today. And so, Father, we pray anointing on your word. We ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. And amen. Now, I think it's important as we get started here not to take, you know, a verse out of context. And and so what is the context? Well, for Paul, we know that really he he had two things heavy in his agenda. The first thing that he focused on, and we see this in epistle after epistle after epistle, because he begins with with a couple words when he begins to write. And that is the unity of the faith, the unity of the faith. In other words, you know, as he was, you know, addressing churches and congregations, there were issues that would surface or there was trouble that they were going through or sometimes it was even conflict. And so what Paul would do is he'd minister as a shepherd into those scenarios, those situations, and he would work towards unity in the faith by the love of Christ. So we know that was high on his agenda, that he's working towards unity of faith or unity in the faith. The second thing that he's working at, listen to this, the second thing that Paul is working on in his agenda is he's working on building the kingdom of God. I loved last Sunday the fact that we were challenged to recognize that making disciples is not optional. Did you hear that? Making disciples, church, it's not optional. And, and, and so that's part of building the kingdom. And this is high on the agenda for the Apostle Paul. Is he saying that, that, that I am about, you know, building the kingdom of God and winning lost people to Christ for God's glory. Amen. So if we look at the passage to define a man's spirituality by something As generic as what they eat or drink, in other words, what is clean or unclean, it's to negate the the power of the one that lives by faith. Follow me now under the dispensation of grace and the faith that we have in Christ. Remember, for it is by grace that we're saved by faith. It's not of ourselves, but a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so it negates the power of the man that is living by faith if we do not recognize these very important virtues of having faith. In fact, uh, he makes not just a casual reference, but a pretty heavy reference in regards to the virtues of, of having faith, and they're significant. In fact, there's two words in the passage. Look at, look at the two verses for a moment. Glance back there. And there are two words there in the middle of the passage that I want to stand on this morning in regards to the virtues of faith. And what's the first one? You see that right in the middle. The first word is peace. It's the idea of peace. And when you say peace, what do you think? Maybe world peace, something like that. But when we speak about us us as an individual, we say peace. What do we think of? We think of peace of mind. 
We think of peace of mind, and we know that we have peace of mind when we live a life of honesty. We live a life in integrity, and then the result is this peace of mind. I I like what someone once said. I'm stealing this now. Someone once said that we live life first in our mind. A person lives life first in their mind. And once they live life out in the mind, then they begin to live it out into everyday life. And, and so peace begins to come like this. And we experience peace as we begin to live, you know, this way. In fact, I don't know about you, but I, I think when, when people meet somebody um, that really has peace, I mean, a person that really has that serenity about themselves. Murray, you kind of strike me that way, that you have this peace. And when we live with this kind of deep peace that comes from the inside and it's very authentic, I believe the world is intrigued by that kind of person. That kind of person that has this deep set peace because they have peace in Jesus Christ. And peace, you know, it not only, you know, passes the complete understanding of man because it comes to us how in Jesus Christ his presence in her life, I believe that it, it moves us even closer to not only God, but closer to each other. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, we read there, Blessed are the peacemakers, for what? For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. And so, see, God, he, he wants us to know peace. Did you hear that? Somebody needs to hear that this morning. I believe that somebody needs to hear that that God wants you to have peace. He wants to bring peace to you. He wants you to have peace in your life. And then he gives us a pathway for peace. The scripture does here. He gives us a pathway to peace. You know what the pathway is? The pathway to peace is confession. That we confess to the Lord. And maybe it is simply confessing what our needs are. Confessing what our need is in the Lord and how much we need God. And maybe it's confessing something else. Maybe it's confessing sin. And I don't know if it's been a while since you've had peace. But church, God wants you to have peace. And the pathway for peace is that we have this, this confession. And maybe it's confessing to somebody else. I don't know, the Lord speaking. Or maybe it's confessing to God. And, but this is the pathway to peace, church. If we're, to have, if we're really to have peace, we, we have it in confessing. And then from that point there, we realize that, that that might take some action. I mean, because confessing is an action thing. I mean, it's, it's an active thing that we do. We confess to God. And so it's going to require some action quite possibly. I, I kind of had fun with the story I came across of a, a boy, a little boy that was a young man, really, that was, you know, carrying a, or driving a, a hay wagon home. And he was taking it home, of course. And. And he hit a rut in the hay wagon, fell over, and it just happened to be in front of this farmer's house. And this farmer came out to help the boy get the hay back on the wagon. This was many years ago before cars and trucks and all that. And the hay wagon had fallen over. And the, the farmer nearby came over and said, I'll help you get the hay back on the wagon. But first, once you come and eat, mom just finished fixing lunch. And the young man said, no, I don't think I should do that. I think my dad's going to be angry with me. No, I'll help you. It'll be twice as fast. Let's go grab a bite to eat. Mom just finished fixing lunch, and I'll come back and help. Let's do that. No, I I think my dad's not going to be happy. Well, the man took the boy by the shoulder and said, no, let's go eat lunch. So they went and ate lunch, and they got done eating lunch. They came back out, and the man said to the young man, the boy said, now aren't you glad that you have a full stomach and that 
you know, you know that, that you ate something, and now we can get the hay back up on the wagon. The boy's face is strained. He says, I'm still worried that my dad's not going to be happy with me. He's going to be angry with me. And the man said, that's ridiculous. Where is your dad anyhow? And with a strained look, the boy said, my dad's underneath the wagon. <laughs> you know, the point is, don't put off tomorrow what needs to happen today. And if we're talking about, you know, peace that requires action, maybe what needs to happen today is that that we need to take action and confess and say, Father in heaven, this is this is what's happening. And God, this is how I need you. And God, this is the sin that I'm wrestling with. And, and peace will come in and he will overshadow you and he will wash you clean. That's what God desires to do. You see, that's the first word there that we're standing on. What is the second word? Look down at the text. The second word is joy. This is another virtue of our faith. It's joy. And, and joy is something that happens in the heart. It happens, you know, deep down in the heart. Someone said that joy is something that happens in the heart because something has happened to the heart. Because something has happened to the heart. And when you experience Christ, something happens to the heart. He transforms us because relationship begins. You see, joy happens in relationship. I love the fact that my wife is sitting on the back row. And this morning she was sitting on the front row and my wife has been sitting on the front row for 30 years and she's put up with me. But there's this connection and this joy that I have because I know we have relationship and intimacy and there's joy in relationship. And so you see where this has taken us, it's taken us into relationship with our father in heaven. Someone once said that joy is the awareness of a better reality than what the world has to offer. Amen. You see, that's what Jesus offers us. It's a better reality than, than what this world has to offer. And, and I need to say something about that. The kingdom is not a matter of muscle memory. You see, this is the gist of what the apostle is saying in this passage. It's not just a, a matter of muscle memory. In other words, following you know, the right rules and living the average life, you know, like the eating and drinking that are just perfunctory duties of being human. But see, the kingdom, what's he challenging us to? He's saying the kingdom, it's the challenge to live a life that's above the fold. You know, to live a life that, that, it, that is remarkable in some way, in such a way that people say, if, if I were a Christian, man, I, I want to be a Christian like that. And, and a life that is really lifting up an example of Christ. And to live above the fold, it means that we're living life, you know, above the fold inside and out. <clears throat> And you say, well, what does that mean? It means on the outside that we are a living testimony of our faith. Because you see, the neighbor will see the difference. Your coworker will see the difference when you're living a life of faith. And the fact is, people do what you model, not, not what you say. And we know that. We can say that a few different ways. People do what you model, not, not what you say necessarily. And, and so we have a call and... And some of us have a call to full-time ministry. I understand that. I, have, I got called to preach when I was 15 years of age. Some of us have a call to ministry. But do you know every one of us, all of us, have a call, the natural call to serve God? Every one of us have the natural call that, that, that we display, that we express the very nature of God in our lives and that Christ lives through us. You see, that's the call of every man, woman, and child. That is the call of the priests of all believers. It is to express the very nature of God himself and the expression of that nature. Then we begin to serve and we begin to overflow and we cannot help but share Jesus with others and make disciples because of the nature of God in us. Uh, last Monday, after 
coming down off the mountain last Sunday morning. On Monday, I, I met this couple, or I ran into this couple once again. Go ahead and throw the picture up there. Um, I met this young lady the first week that I moved to San Diego, California. First week that I was your pastor, I met this young lady here, Ariola. And, and this, the gentleman, uh, his, name is, his name is Brent. And then I ran into her maybe like six months later, and then I ran into her like a year later, and then my wife and I ran into her, so that's like four times, and then on Monday, I ran into her and her husband. And um, I had invited her to church and to bring her husband, and they've not come to church, and, and we were talking about church and, you know, church they visit once in a while, you know, just conversation. And then I said, you know what, you know, the Lord's kind of laid on my heart, you know, to plan a new church. Ten churches in ten years is the challenge for Mission Church of the Nazarene. And I said, would you be excited? Would you be, want to be a part of a, like a new church plant? And they said, yeah. Put her name down and say they wanted to sign up. They wanted to be a part of something new that God was doing. Amen. And so I, I recognize that, that being you know, an example of Christ and, and living above the fold, it means that we are doing that on the inside and out. On the outside, we are living testimony. What's it mean to do that on the inside? Well, fact is, folks, when, when you have peace and there's joy here in the church, the visitors are going to sense it. You know, they're going to come in here and they're going to sense that we have, we have authentic peace and they're going to sense that we have, have joy in what Paul is saying He's saying in this passage that he's more concerned about the lack of faith and love than the disputing and debating of issues of whether, you know, we eat clean or unclean food. And even greater still, Paul gets it. He says, if the enemy can get us bickering and judging and picking on each other about our faults, about this thought or this thought, if he can undermine our faith, he can undermine our spiritual confidence, if he can create enough guilt in us that we would abandon the faith, then the enemy wins. The enemy wins. So part of this living above the fold on the inside now is that on, on the inside, in the fellowship of believers, that we are living a life of honesty, integrity, and we li- choose to live a life that's above the fold, which means living a life of joy. I love the story of this young man. This, uh, had, he was a boy, and he's now grown. He's telling the story that when he was a young man, a little boy, that his dad came home one evening and said that he'd lost his job, that the company was going under. And uh, he was kind of depressed. It was just dark news, hard for the family. But then he remembers what his mom did. What his mom did, and this was many years ago, like during a depression time, his mom went out and sold a, a piece of jewelry. And then she went out grocery shopping. And that night, after dad had announced the bad news that he'd lost his job, that night she put on a feast, man. I mean, it was like a Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, it was a celebrative feast. The table's full of food. And the father, he remembers, kind of was frustrated, almost upset a little bit. And the family, why are you spending all this money when I just lost my job? And, and, and his mom said this. He said, I'll never forget. It. My mom said, the time for joy is now when we need it most. Not next week. And he remembers that lifted the morale of the family. And he got a job just a few weeks later. And the kids stayed positive. And, and, and it seemed like the family made a shift. Because they cho- chose to live above the fold. They chose to live with joy. And I don't know what the Lord is doing in your life. And how he's you know, working in your heart right now. And whether the issue of peace is an issue for you or not. But I know this. That Jesus. I know that God wants you to have peace. And the path. A peace is confession. 
And I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you, nobody looking, just between you and the Lord, to confess to the Lord what you need the Lord to do for you. In fact, let's stand together. Let's stand, and we're going to just bow our heads and close our eyes and invite the instrumentalists to come. But I want to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And I want to invite you to just think about this, this idea of having just this peace. I mean, this eternal, authentic peace in life and whether you have that or not because God is a God of peace he wants you to have peace listen to this now no distractions just push everything back and away from your mind right now just think about Jesus think about the fact that God is a God of peace he wants you to have peace he wants you to be set free right now he wants to give you direction and and so I want to invite you right now just to say Lord I need to confess this. This is how I need you. Or maybe you're going to confess something heavy or something deeper that that you know the Lord has been speaking to you about. And and it's time to confess that to him right now. What would happen if we were to make that right? What would happen if we were to settle these things with the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I want this real authentic peace. I need peace in my heart right now, Lord. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of being empty. Lord, I need your peace. I'm going to invite us to pray that way right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Begin to pray that way. So, Lord, give me peace. Lord, wash over me. Set me free. Lord Jesus, I'm just going to confess. This is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to transform me. And now we're going to do something else. I'm going to take another step. You're praying. The Lord is stirring your heart right now. I want to invite us to just make this altar, these altars this morning, an altar of confession. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to say anything to you. I just want it to be an altar of confession of privacy for you and the Lord right now. So I want to invite you, if you, you want to make things right with the Lord and have peace in your life, I want to invite you just to come and confess whatever you need to do. Maybe a confession that you need more of him. Maybe confession of of righting some wrongs and you can confess to somebody else. Or maybe even confessing, you know, an issue or sin or something. I want to just invite you to just make this altar, an altar of confession today. Let's do that. Step out right now. Let's just come to the altar. Church, let's do that. Come and say, Lord, I need to confess to you. You know how the Lord is stirring your heart. You know what he's talking to you about. Let's come and say, Lord, I'm just going to confess this. Teens, if the Lord's speaking to you, nobody's going to bother you. Just come and kneel and say, Lord, I'm going to confess this to you because you want this peace. You want this authentic, deep peace that you haven't had for a while. And so I want to invite you just to come and kneel. Won't you do that? Nobody, just no hesitation. Come and kneel. We're just coming as a family of God. And we're saying, Lord, I need this peace in my life. I need your direction. I need your hope. And you're going to confess it to the Lord right now. Let's do that. Let's just come and together and let's kneel at the altar. Let's hear God's voice and let's be obedient and say, Lord, I need your peace. I need peace in life right now. We're going to sing. As we sing, some of you believers want to come and kneel beside some of these. You're welcome to do that. Just come and pray. But let's just open the altar, church, and let's just kneel before him. And let's ask for peace and ask for direction. God will give it to you. I believe that. Amen. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good father and that you're a father of peace. And you desire for us to, to know that, to have peace in life. So, Father, I pray for each of these that just prayed. And some of us, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we've been whispering.
of you saying, Lord, we need you. We want this peace. And so, Father, we just lift our hand in faith to you, thanking you, God, for hearing this prayer. Thank you, Father, for walking with us, being amongst us this morning. And, Lord, just anoint that, that young person. Anoint that, that man or that woman today that is so hungry to have peace with you that you would just, would just overwhelm them with your presence. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your peace. Thank you for everlasting life. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Lord, we worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. May God's peace rest upon you. May you go and serve him. Honor him with your life. And we'll gather again next Sunday. We're going to have a great time. Bring somebody with you, by the way, okay? God bless you. You're dismissed.